out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Indeed, as always. Thank you, Jim. Hello and welcome. This is the C86 Show. This is David Eastall, always playing the finest in indie pop and sometimes beyond and sometimes before. Anyway, as you know, or you might know, we always like a special guest. This week it is going to be the turn of Derek Parker, who I interviewed a couple of months ago to find out more about life, love, poetry and all that other groovy sort of stuff. He, he was the front man in the indie band The Raw Herbs, once signed to the Medium Cool record label back in the day, having classic singles like Don't Bury Me Yet. Anyway, this is the interview and after about five minutes of chin chat and exciting rap um, I started talking about my love of Huskadoo and that period in 1987 when I went to see them live and was hoping to catch them at Glastonbury that same year because they were going to be playing but I didn't realise it was going to be Friday afternoon and I hadn't got there in time but I missed them and Derek had a story about that and he's going to tell us now. Derek it's over to you. Enjoy the interview. You know the raw hair. The raw hairs were meant to be the first band on the first stage at the first um, slot in the Glastonbury '87. My God! Uh, um, um, it, it wasn't. Uh, I think it was just like um, f- fuck that. Really? Well, that's that, that was. <laughs> yeah, but really, I, I, pro- I probably regret that now. Yeah. Yes. I, <laughs> yes. Because, because, because apart from anything else, it's a, just a, bo- a bonus and then you can just spend the weekend at Glastonbury. You know? Yes. Yeah. Well, it was quite something in those days. You know, it was quite... It's, well, it still is, really. I mean, it's... But it was quite, it? It was quite rough back in the, the travelling community uh, and, you know, because there wasn't any kind of wall and, and sort of tickets particularly uh, being passed around. So it's kind of a bit of a... I was a bit intimidated, to be honest. There was a lot of people trying to sell me quite a lot of heavy drugs. I just remember walking through it and thinking, my God, this is, this is like nothing I've ever experienced. And um, it was quite intimidating. There was a lot of people out of their heads on motorbikes whizzing around looking like they I, were... I, I, I went to the Reading Rock Festival in 1979 with my cousin. I was I was young, I was 14, and... Um, you know, we ended up getting in a fight with some Hells Angels and stuff, and it was just, it was, and it was really, really rough. And it was, it, it, because of punk, it had gotten, I mean, because it was essentially a rock festival. Yes. You know, with, with rock bands, you know. But there were, there was, um, the, there were some magic moments. That, but Peter Gabriel headlined, the police headlined um, the first night, and they, had just released two singles at the time, oh, and, well, and they, were, they were all dressed in like um, like army fatigues and stuff. Right, because I know that in '79, John Peel that he had a session with the police, which he uh, he'd quite like because he'd seen them in Holland at a festival and thought they were okay. His producer John Walters thought it was a big mistake and they should have never done it or never had them on, but. It was one of those ones because, you know, police became the police and Sting became Stingo. So it was tricky. It was it was one of those things. But look, okay. so so going go on. yeah. with, with your musical journey then, 
Did you, with the raw herbs, because I, you know, slightly the way I've constructed it in my brain, indie pop sort of was from 83 to 87, which was the years of the Smiths, basically. But you came along at that kind of moment where the party was definitely changing from what I've got. Well, remember, and also talking to all the, a lot of bands, was that things started to alter quite a lot. So what was your musical journey as a youth? You know, like, what you, what were you growing up listening to? Because obviously if you went to Reading in 40 years ago, which was a bit frightening. <laughs> so, good guys, yeah. Yeah, so so what was what was your sort of... Were you into the kind of the usual glam, or were you even before that? I mean, um, as a boy, because, I, I mean, I... Like personally, I got my first like group just with some some friends, and they couldn't play. So I, I, we just went and bought some drums and a bass, and I taught the bass player to play the bass, and we worked out how to play the drums, and we just like went and got some gigs around like Scotland, and and um, but I ended up just being in it lots lots of bands until postcard um and uh it was the c81 um cassette that came with the enemy yes and i got i, I got that and i listened to it and i was really taken aback and then it was it was then that i like personally wanted just like to be a you know a singer songwriter kind of yes. guy you know and, and uh and the goal was to, to to do that and go to London. Yes. So what part of Scotland uh, were you based in or living in at the time? Well, I no, but I was I was, I was, by that time I was living down here. Right. I moved about a bit, but I'm from just outside Glasgow. Yes. From having spoke to a lot of indie bands from Scotland, there was there was a huge music scene, wasn't there? There was just like it wasn't just uh, the skids and the Bay City Rollers. It, everything was kind of exploded. Oh no. <laughs> you know. No, no. And there was the not. Alex, and there was the Alex Harvey band who we all loved, even though they kind of were quite intimidating just to listen to, let alone watch. So um, uh, uh, Alex Harvey, I mean, I mean, it was so. Um, creative and ar- ar- artistic, and and uh, it, I almost like more akin to Marky Smith, yeah, you know, Alex Harvey, because he was a guy on his own. He wasn't um, accepted as a. I mean, he was a tough guy, but he was definitely an abstract guy in the same way that Ian Jury yes was, you know, and he was writing those very unusual songs, and they were doing. Like Jacques Brel covers in the like the the Glasgow kind of vernacular, <laughs> yeah, you you know, and and it was it was quite something to to witness, and I would imagine witnessing that without any preparation or announcement would have been you know uh, uh, incredible, but but it was very pubby and very rough in in, in the west of Scotland then, you know. Yes, well, I and could... I think. Uh, I was going to say it could have, um, yeah, so I I suppose when I've sort of seen and spent hours watching interviews with him, well, not hours because there's not that much out there, but, you know, him and various other members were all sort of, they'd been around from the 60s and I, if I hadn't done my research, I could tell you what the band was that they all seemed to have been part of before moving into the Alex Harvey um, band or combo. 
Yes, it was it was one of those things. But yes, he he did have a big influence because having sort of you know been one of those kids who watched Top of the Pops religiously on a Thursday, we yeah, well, you got yeah, the, me too. You got the usual stuff, and then occasionally you got some something which just made you think mm, that's that's a little. I, bit. Th- I think in nineteen seventy nine though, I always remember seventy nine because I I ended up getting like three paper rounds because I just to fund my kind of obsession with forty five single records. And in 78 and 79, there was a huge amount of... That was quite a big time for me musically because um, I'm not really... You know, I've never really been a, one of those surprising... It will be surprising for you to hear this because of how I looked in those pictures, but I was never really an indie kind of guy. My indie, my indie thing stopped with Orange Juice, Aesthetic Camera and Joseph K with a postcard and after that when I joined the Raw Herbs um, and I, I joined me and Brian the drummer we um, both answered the same advert that was put in a record shop in London you know yes so and had you had you relocated then from Scotland to to follow London your dream, to follow yeah. your dreams yeah because that's quite an amazing thing. I mean, I spoke to a few Australian bands, and they, that's even more amazing, where they just literally went, right, we're going to go to the other side of the world and get a squat in London to keep our musical careers going, you know. And you think, well, that's, that's quite incredible. Somebody, somebody once, once um, you know, said that if you're going to make it in the music industry, then you need to go to London. And I just, I didn't even question it because I was... Cause I was uh, Young, so I thought, well, you get to London, and then we'll work it out. But I, I was in, I was in a good, a good group before I came to London, and the and the other two guys wouldn't um, wouldn't come, right? And it was a shame because they were like close friends, and it was real fun. It was the only because uh, I've been in quite a lot of bands really over the over the years and I mean the Raw Herbs is not the only music that I've made in my life you know and it's and it's um it's just that that you know there was a, a records and tours and stuff you know but I think that um that um that the band before the Raw Herbs it was the only real band that I've ever been in you know where it's your pals and you, you and you the music's good you know, yes. and you, and you, and you, you know, and you believe in yourself, and it's and it's fun. The thing that um, I found with my ex, because I was I was very young then. You know, David, David, I was twenty odd. You know, right. when when and it, but I was trying to work it out because me and Brian, we answered the ad in the February with the first rehearsal in the May. Uh, we did our first gig in the June. We signed to Medium Cool in the July. We released our, our record in the August. It went month by month that first six months. And then we were in the New Musical Express the following month. When And then, I don't know, and, they were, and we were playing all the, the kind of in, in, indie uh, clubs in London. Uh, there was a place called the Room at the Top, I think it was called, and uh, that's where. Was that Alan McGee's? Or was that? Oh, he, 
well, he was always around. And the the two guys that not uh, me and Brian, the two uh, other guys, they were in a group that almost signed creation. I think and they were called the 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 trees. So they knew the. Uh, those guys, and then it was just those two, and they put an, a, a two ads, one for a drummer and one for a, a singer, guitar playing guy who could write some songs, you know. Yes, and I, I, think... I, read, I read it, and I thought that that's that sounds like me, you know. That's definitely yes, because I think Alan McGee, God, I, uh, um, someone will go, God, does he not know anything? But was he the living room? Didn't he? He did. A, he did a club at yeah, somewhere. Yeah, that's right. That's the We're one. Playing. Yeah, that's the one. I think that was. I don't know. I wasn't paying that much attention to it at the time, and because I never, I, I, after a postcard stopped, I didn't. I, I I didn't know any indie bands, and when I met the the two guys, Kevin and Arch, they just were talking about you know all these groups, and there was a pub that we used to go to in in East London, and went the first night that we all went there. They were going, that's that guy from, and I was like, I don't know, you know, I don't know any of these groups, and I really haven't listened to that kind of, I haven't, I haven't listened to John Peel since, you know, since the or, the Orange Juice thing, and and um, I'd been really just, I'd, I'd been visiting jazz clubs and getting into that kind of yeah. music, which which sounds really and unusual but um these the, the two guys kevin and arch they had this they were a bit older than us and they had this this vision that, that this that they were gonna and uh we had some some ideas and the, the the you know all those songs the first songs came out quite quickly yeah know. so you managed to get a yeah. sound because normally because what i found with most bands they have this kind of five-year narrative where they they get together they they sort of rehearse for about 12 months mainly because they're on unemployed or they you know the job seekers allowance or enterprise allowance which we loved back in the 80s and then you know john peel would pick up the single and then he would give them a um I don't know. They'd give a get a session, and that would give them that bounce to the next. You know, they'd get more gigs kind of around the country, so they weren't just playing in front of their friends, family, and anybody else they could emotionally blackmail to see. And then they get that first album, so things were going well. And then it was often the second, if not third album, and it was often the other thing that killed most bands if they ever did America. But that was that was that next stage. But you you obviously got your sound and and style together very quickly. But it's really it's really odd because I mean I you know I I experienced it and it ha- the, a lot of it happened very quickly and even before the first single was actually a flexidus single because um we didn't have enough money to get one uh, like a hard one you know yeah so we so we just put two tracks on a flexi disc this and this was for that medium cool record label was this old would, joe and uh, was that the tracks old joe and that's how it's it a is got yeah, um, which were demos, right? And uh, they were that was part of that. All those songs were um, you came out very quickly, you know. Yes, and uh, and then what happened? I mean, we I sat round at Andy Wake's flat in Broccoli, and we just sat there licking stickers and making the sleeves for the for the. Um, 
plexi discs and you know you'd like you were poisoned at the end of it with like the same stuff that ever and and then putting them in in boxes and and then they went they were in, they, and they went into the real record shops you know and yes. got in and got in the the music papers and all the all the kind of little reviews all had these pictures of 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 us, so so people knew who we were like really quickly. Yeah, and and, and, and also from from seeing all your those cuttings that you've you've got out there and all the gigs, you were playing with some of the other great indie bands of the time, which you probably didn't appreciate. All but, of them, but like yeah. the the Sidleys and the Chesterfields and the Railway Children, and and the, you know I see these kind of old posters which are fantastic classics, aren't they? And you know I thought, God, the Sidleys, and you were on the same record label as them as well, so you must have kept bumping into each other at all these kind of small clubs around um, the country. Well, we, yeah, but we were all. I mean, uh, I mean, I did, you know, I was on the same record label as the the Sidleys, and I um, I toured with them, you know. And um, but they, they, I, I, I used to say hello to them, and not that I, you know I'm not an unfriendly person, and that was it. And we never really had a chat. I think the other two guys knew them quite well, and yes. But I, 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 we did we did shows with like the, the the House of Love in those days and the Stone Roses and so there was a lot of other groups that went on to be very successful. You know the Farm, the Ocean Colour scene. It's just you know all, there was a lot of groups that were. I used to say that you know I think groups really want to do gigs with us because it almost guarantees that they go off and. And do well, and we kind of don't. But it did seem that we were, we were, we were doing well at the the, the beginning. But it's it it went wrong really quickly. You you would have no idea how how something that that looked so promising and and had a lot of interest and in and sounded quite good at the beginning. Yes, you know, um, could really almost like internally implode and. And then just spoil spoil itself and and end because it was a very it was a very short period of of time and I was always quite surprised that people uh, still have some interest in that that <laughs> pop group I was in when I, you know yes I did young. you find, and also did you find your songwriting and and vocals did that sort of come together quite quickly as well because obviously it's not something that everyone can do and you know being the front man is is quite you know quite a challenge isn't it well it didn't seem like a challenge for me and I'd you know I'd been I'd been singing and writing songs for quite a few years I think in a way by the end of my time in the raw herbs and then I then I I was in a group I got signed again quite quickly after the Raw Herbs to, and I had a very similar experience with a group called Horse Latitudes, and we were signed to Cherry Red Records, and we released. Um, um, but I think being in these groups and being in the music business and going on tour, and it actually stopped me write, writing the songs that I wanted to write. It was only later on when record companies went and, and there were no tours and they weren't, there was no publicity and that, that I actually 
sat down, there was no pressure and no one was waiting for something and no one was saying you need to have a record out and that I, that I, I kind of developed a bit more as a somebody could, who was interested in writing songs and, and singing them. Um, uh, but in the those sort of early days, it was just like, it was quite, I don't know, it's, very, it's difficult to say, it was just quite easy. Yes. Not, they were all pop, they were all kind of pop rock and roll songs and you just kind of knocked them out, you know. Because one of my, one of my, I suppose, it's not a great theory, but I think one of the great years of music was 1987 because there were just so many good releases and mm. um, around that time. And you, you brought out you know the the kind of, I suppose it's almost an EP, wasn't it? The one which is "Don't Bury Me Yet." Mm. Did that um, did that come together when you met, were making that? Did it feel like you were on something, on a good you know trajectory at that point, and things were starting to sort of really click? No, it didn't. The, the first, I think, the first single, which um, uh, is called "Season Us," but she's all right, and it's, um, I, and I think that's um, that had a great sound to it. That record, you know, it was in, and the the B side is a song called "So Wired," which um, the group I'm in now we do we do that because because Brian, her friend, died. Um, and that was his kind of favourite song, and I did with uh, I, I played it after thirty years, and I thought, oh, because the songs, it's not, it's about death and 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 stuff, and it had an added poignancy in the, my later life, you know. And, and I thought, of all those of all those songs, I think this was actually a, a quite a good song, you know, <laughs> and. Um, you know, lyrically and melodically, and it's quite interesting and it changes and it does all the things that a song should do. But what happened after that first single, there was almost like um, a flood of people. People wanted to manage you. There were record companies. There were... And I, I, I think I was a bit overwhelmed because it was, I, it, it was a little bit false world, you know, the music industry... And there was a lot of people wanting to talk to you and being interviewed and going on tour. And so, and then it went from the small little studio that we were used to recording into quite a big fancy studio. Oh, because we, 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 we were given a Radio 1 session in between. The famous Janice Long, isn't it? Yeah, and it was hard that sorted that because she got given a white copy of the the first record before it was released. And played it and played it twice on the the same show. Wow! And then through her, we did the Radio One session. So by the time it got to that second record, and it was more money for medium cool. Instead of just staying where we were, and that in that that kind of basic studio, which I mean that first record's got a great sound to it, even now I think you know that. Um, but I think don't bury me yet. There were songs I don't think that I know that quite a lot of people have uh, pays attention to that song, and but it never really. You know, I mean, I, I'm I'm fond of it, and 
uh, but it wasn't. It didn't work out well in the the studio, and it was recorded, and there was a a meeting afterwards, and it was like this doesn't work, and and then in the end we asked this band. Just it was just a fluke. We asked this banjo player if he'd come along and just play on the uh, on the track, and he, I think the with the that when the banjo player put his track down, it made this song, you know, and it was, it went from being a disappointment because we were thinking of doing, um, um, forgetting about it and using another song as a single. And that I felt it was, it, there was all this, there was too much thinking going on around this, this band and I couldn't, I couldn't work out. It's just like, why don't you just let it, release any song it doesn't matter if it's a a big record or not but the the banjo player sort of made the record mm. and it had, and it had a good b-side i think there was a song that I, I wrote called i'm falling down and i put some strings we put some strings on it and and so in the studio because uh, i was still only 20 21 22 then and i was i was starting to enjoy it a wee bit more you know I like being in the studio and I like the the texture of sound I liked hearing that then you could understand I, I, I learned that I wasn't a very good singer then I had to you know, <laughs> you know yeah, I had a lot to kind of learn and I, and um, and we had a we had a producer yeah who's a who's a friend of mine to this this day and he taught me a lot and this the studio, but I think it was, it was still a strange, it was still a strange experience. Then we, it wasn't like a, a band of brothers were going to conquer the the world. It was still very fragile, because some of the music wasn't very good, and some of it, you could see flashes of, you know, those kind of magic moments that you want. You know? Yes. And so- then, and, and it, and it, but there was this continued interest that kept. Um, it kept getting bigger and you know we were doing interviews for the music papers and and radio shows and all you know I, I looking back it was I can remember going into London from I live in East London and I went in the tube train and I came out of Leicester Square station and there was this massive poster of uh, these groups and there was a huge picture of me on the on the poster as I came out of Leicester Square Station, I went, "Oh my God, look at that!" And uh, and the funny thing is, which is quite amusing, I was the clothes that I was wearing that day that I went into London. I was <laughs> wearing the exact same clothes in the poster, and I was standing in front of it, and I was like, "This looks a bit, this looks a bit funny." I'm just, um... and then I walked, went up to the Virgin Megastore, and as I walked in, they were playing the record that was out. As I as I walked in, and I was thinking, and then and then someone recognised me, and was, and it just was starting to look a bit like that, you know, and people writing you fan letters and stuff. And, <laughs> uh, I mean, I mean, it really was bit bizarre for a short period of time. You know? Yes, well, absolutely. Uh, uh, so then, I mean, were the, but was the band never kind of a stable? Entity. Well, it, 
it started it started off like uh, promising, but the more people that got involved, and I think the the other two guys were 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 quite immersed in the whole idea of the music industry and the the and so they were the the more pe the more when the more people that b became involved, you know, managers and advisors and and, and stuff, that that's when it, it, it you know there was a lot of people in the the studio and suggesting things. And whereas the first the first records, no, there was nobody about. You know, you just went in there and and played the thing and. And it sounded fresh, and you just felt good about it, you know. But there was a, there was a, there was a lot of, um, there was a lot of people involved. Yes. And and uh, you know, I and that, I didn't like that. I mean, I'm really, I didn't like, and all, I I didn't like the 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 kind of managers and the record company people and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I also felt a bit self-conscious about being Scottish because I just, you know, you get all these guys going and saying that you're this and you know, you're going you're going to be something and and they were always about 15 years older than me and they had like like ponytails and and like Gucci jackets and you know it's all it's not quite you know. You know what, son? I'm going to make you a star. You know, it wasn't quite that, but it wasn't far away from that. Yeah, how weird. And and, uh, and that was within like a year. Yeah. And I, I was like, what's what's going on? But in there were great moments. Like the, the I, we did a gig with McCarthy, and um, I adored McCarthy. McCarthy. And Brian, the drummer, knew Malcolm, and Malcolm, the, Malcolm was just like this wee shy English kind of indie guy that wrote these these songs. Do you know? Do you know that group, McCarthy? Yes. Well, they're one of those bands, a bit like the Bodines, who were just they were just phenomenal. And I just remember watching him. We were, we were did, doing that gig, and he was obviously so shy. Didn't want to talk talk to me, and I was. <laughs> Um, you know, I, I, I really wanted to talk to to him, you know, and and he ended up giving up music to go and look after his mum, and and I just thought I love this guy, you know. And was that Malcolm from McCarthy? Yeah. Yes, I know. And I, and I remember coming out, uh, uh, you know, when the concert and it was at one of the universities in London, and walking on stage, and there were hundreds and hundreds of people, and it was packed. And there were there were people shouting my name and stuff, <laughs> you know, and uh, and I was like, oh my god, <laughs> what's going on? Yes. So did you have a moment with the um, with the band, the Raw Herbs, where you all sat down and said, we're not going to continue this? I just wonder if there there was, you know, if it had been building or whether it was just one of those. No, it just it it went it went it it went um, like. You'd think if you were if you had a a group, you maybe you'd spend a bit more time together and you'd have this vision and you'd be working on uh, songs. But the first lot of so all of the songs came out kind of uh, quickly. I think I only brought one song 
with me, you know, but they were all kind of, it was all written, all all done from the from the scratch, you know. Yes. And we we sat down and and you know we'd all just met each other and just um, thought of a name and and then released a record and it did well and then you're getting and then the first time you see your picture in the music papers and it's like all very exciting and then then you're you know there was always something that kind of made it bigger there was being played on the radio and then and then having a record in the charts and and doing larger shows um but i think there was too much of that and not enough um you because know, a band really you need to and i you know i was I needed quite a lot of development, and I think really looking back, I needed someday to maybe say, I think you, you know, you should maybe do this, and your voice sounds better this way, and playing playing the guitar. But you know, you need, you definitely need somebody to assist you in developing a, a kind of talent, if you like. And there was kind of none of that, but there was all these people telling you that you were going to be. My, like a big group and I have to say I didn't really believe it and then what happened was by the the, the there were there was a split with the the record label which to this day I, don't, I still don't even know why that happened because I was disappointed with that and then things started to feel a bit stranger and and the and then when we were in the studio, the studio was even bigger than the one before. And I was saying, we don't need all this. You know, it's too, the studios were too big and they were the, all the engineers and, and everything were so much more experienced and, and a lot of the music was being made up on the spot. You know, it wasn't like you went in there and there was a bit of pre-production, you just kind of knocked it out. It was more you're in the studio and you didn't really know what you were doing and you didn't know if it sounded um, good and then that, there was a, a third record that Jeff Barrett um, oh, yeah. prom- promoted and that and then that, that got played on MTV <laughs> and so then all of a sudden it, it got in a bit more successful but it was already on the yeah, it was it was going to end, and then Brian, the drummer, who was like, he was, uh, you know, he, I was kind of closest with it with him. He near because it was so stressful, and it sounds ridiculous now. He started to, it was almost like he was going to have a breakdown because he kept getting told he can play the drums well enough to be in a top group, and then people were trying him out and watching him play the drums, the click tracks, and it and it broke his kind of confidence because he was quite a shy guy. And then he, being on tour, and he left because he was it was making him ill. And then there was a few drummers that were put in place. One was Hugh Whittaker, who was... Oh, House of um, House Martins, isn't it? But he, I never even got to meet him because he got, he got in trouble before we got to meet him. Uh, with the police, oh yes, and and then um, Andrew Parisi uh, played on 
he actually played on a track that ended up getting released, which was my kind of swan song to the Raw Herbs, which is it's called Hopelessly, and it was released on a, I don't even know, a, a, a compilation record. Um, have you heard that? No, I haven't heard that one at all. Oh, really? So that that was the that was the last released Roy Herb's track, and it's really odd because it's the it's the first one and the last one that I think are the are the best pieces of music. Um, and Andrew Perese plays the drums on that 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 last one. Yes. And then and then it was just about to finish. And we got offered some dates with my bloody Valentine in Europe. And did and, you? Yeah, we, uh, yeah, I did one. And um, but there was uh, the drummer was funny, and it didn't feel the same anymore. And and the the new songs sounded a bit. It sounded a bit. I mean, it, it was so, beginning to sound a bit like those kind of Scottish groups that I used to hate, like um, Texas or, or you know, the, or um, what's the other one? Um, I hate, it was sounding a bit like this kind of mainstream rock pop. Simple Minds. No, I, th- I was thinking more of... Was it Deacon Blue? I was thinking. Oh, Deacon Blue. Yes, they went very middle. They were down the. They were totally middle of the road, weren't they? And um, and Texas definitely. Were. Yeah, it was like polished country rock and roll, wasn't it? Yeah. Yes. So then, did you? Because because I thought the last single was that the second time he's blown away you and me again. Yeah. But you did yeah. another release after that. Called hopelessly, yeah. Oh no. And um, what happened was that there was um, a, there was actually a, another EP recorded, and then there was um, an album which was actually made that was going to be released in America, and so that album was going to be released in America and possibly a visit to America and play some concerts. So I think it was still being geared for. A, a bigger success yeah. which I couldn't see myself and then who was the last person to get involved a guy called um, oh, is his name Simon Dine and he uh, he was working at GoDisc with the Trashcan Sonatas and he is the guy that has been co-writing with Paul Weller recently Mm-hmm. And he ma- he made his more recent records, and he he he. he I think he because um, it was that di- it was just it was just dying, and I hated it. As when Brian left, I didn't like it anymore, and I hated. I've never been good at touring, you know. I I don't. I don't you know, some guys love it. They love the road, and they love. The, you know they love doing the interviews and and the radio stuff and and the concert and that. But I I realised right, so I wasn't really one of those people. Yeah, you know, I found I've I I didn't like being on the road. You know, 
So did so you made the the album that has never been released. So you've yeah, got, you've got that. Do you still have a copy of it? No, I think um, the 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 person who really kept all the the kind of paraphernalia and the 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 documents was Kevin Bates, who was a guitar player. But do you know what? I, I, he left the Raw Herbs, so the Raw Herbs ended up just being me and the bass player. And I, at that, at that point, I was just thinking, I, you know, I was what twenty four, and I felt like I'd been in the music industry for like forty years, and I, and I just was thinking, I don't really know what, what, what to do with this now, you know, because it's, you know, there was, and, and I decided to just like stop doing it and not, and not think about it and I got signed to another record label with and I just left I just left it and made a new name and and made a record which sounds like the raw herbs <laughs> um well it sounds like a a slightly more kind of less indie version of the raw herbs but that was called September Songs, and it was it was by a group called Horse Latitudes. Right. And uh, we released what two two singles and an album, and I got I was published as a songwriter with them. Um, but it, the the music business was crumbling. It was the internet was looming, um, and there was there was a lot of poor choices made by record companies and um, so it wasn't it was <clears throat> the whole thing was just kind of dying and I, and I and when that group ended I got another group together with my slight like friends which was I think a, just a better version of that kind of country rock you know, we had like a really good guitar player, and there were four part harmonies, and we, you know, it was a bit more polished. And we, but we ne- and we nearly got signed to EMI, and we almost signed it, but it just didn't happen. And then that EMI crumbled, and it changed into something else. And and then I stopped. I I, I couldn't stand the the music and the pop music, and I stopped doing it for. A little while and became an actor. <laughs> yes, God. So that was it. Your uh, is it the horse latitude was your last? No. Then then I, I I haven't really ever stopped because I then I had I had five good. You know, I went for an audition for a play and I basically got the part and then I got employed for five years and I did a bit of television. I did Edinburgh every year and I you know and. I had a bit of success there, and it took my mind off music. Yes. But then I wrote some songs that I thought, uh, and it took me a while to write them, actually, because I was in my 30s then, and I thought, yeah, these are quite good, and I wrote one batch, which were good, but they weren't really, they still sounded a bit young, and then I wrote eight songs in the early... 2000s and I had a band called the Del Parker Band it's a terrible name which was my name but and we 
were about to make an album. We had one track released on a compilation record and that was all, you know, going quite well. And then I became a father and I um, didn't write a song for eight years. Right. (laughs) My God. So does that mean that you're back almost wanting to do songs again? Well, I have a band again, which is really soon because what happened was Brian Brian died, and you know, and which was a shock. You know, the drummer from the Raw Herbs. Yes, I saw that he died two thousand eleven from deep vein thrombosis, which is absolutely hideous. Yeah, it was it was really horrendous, and then after he <clears throat> he died. Andy Wake, who is the guy that started Medium Cool Records, who I'd gotten back into, I'd gotten quite close with because his son was born the same year as my son. And then he had a heart attack and has now got a really severe hypoxic brain injury and is wheelchair bound and, and very, very brain damaged. And then that that happened, and then straight after that, there there's a, a really good friend of ours called Ian Shedden, who used to be the drummer in a group called Summerhill, and then the Saints, the Australian group. Oh yes. And he 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 died, and the the guy that I always sang with, and this was even in the Raw Herbs days, is is my best friend from Scotland, Keith, and we used to sing Everly Brothers songs together, and you know and we 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 were in groups after the Raw Herbs. He came around and says, why don't we get a group again together? And so we did, and we've got a bass player. And they, uh, they were a group from Glasgow called the Prime Evils. The drummer's a friend of ours. So we got a, we got another group together, and we just, like, <laughs> we put some cover versions out, and then we, we chose that Raw Herbs song, which sounds really, really really great now you know the 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 b side of and so we're just like starting to do some concerts and it, I mean, it's it's good because music's um it's it's soothing and the the the, the sound of the music is 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 amazing and and there's no no pressure and i just like enjoy enjoying yes so do you, so is yeah. it the case when you um yeah, my God, it's come full circle. So is it the case that you, obviously Kevin and Stephen Archibald, you don't have anything to do with them anymore? There's that. I haven't spoken to them almost since the Roy Herbs. Right. So you didn't get when, because often when there's someone who's passed away like Brian did, you know, then the band, the other members of the band, even if they haven't spoke to each other for a long time, sometimes get in touch and say, blimey, Gav, that's a bit weird, isn't it? The thing is, please don't, please don't um, write this or anything, but um, I did let them know about it, you know, the funeral and stuff. Right. So I don't really, but I don't think, I think, um, they weren't close with Brian like I was. And Brian, you know, if you ever met him, he was just such an a, <laughs> a eccentric person. And so, some people loved him and some people just found him too weird, you know. Right. And, and I think 
after all the novelty and things were off, because you know, he was that fragile, Brian. He nearly had a, a breakdown, and that was after like two years. Yes. Well, he did it. He did have a breakdown. It was me that told them to leave the, the raw herbs, hmm. Sit, and sitting in a a, the, a tennis a, a a a tennis club in Sutton on a on a Saturday afternoon that was closed had to break into it because he was just. If we, if we were in the recording studio and things were really tense and it was one of those spinal tap moments, things are not going well, what's the matter, the drummer can't play and then people putting all this pressure on um, and, you know, you're... And that was the... Um, I can't remember what session it was, but... Yeah. And, th and then there were, there were people, you know, who were going arriving what's the matter? Why is it not going well? And it was like, oh my God, like, what is this? It's like, you know, we're not, we're not um, the, the Beatles, you know, what is, um, oh, it was really kind of strange time. And then I went for a walk with Brian and I took him at that part and he was, he said, I can't, I can't do this. And, and I said, well, don't do it. Yes. Well, you know, don't do it. I mean, you, you, we were, 23 years old and felt like we'd been doing it far too long by then, you know, it's like it's crazy. And I, and, I, and I said, just go back, put any old track down and go and watch West, West Ham this afternoon. And, and that's what he did. And, he, and he, that, was the end, that was the end of it. Yes. Well, you, he, did, he did one more concert, which was, I think, on the, the Tuesday after the recording session and there was some there was some somebody somewhere thought that that third record would get on top of the pops you know yes. so they so they, they made a i think they made a promo film which was a you know a video which was to be shown on which got shown on telly but that was filmed do you know waterloo station vaguely vaguely there's a big roundabout there and a, a massive imax 3D kind of cinema, oh. which they use in all the, the movies. But opposite, there's a church, a very famous old London church. And underneath, there was a crypt, there's a crypt, and, uh, and well, it's obviously not used anymore, <laughs> or else we went and we went and made the, this um, video for that third single in the crypt where they used to put <laughs> all the, the bodies and and an independent filmmaker used it as a project for, I think, the end of their, like, a degree or something. Yes. My God. Um, it's a mysterious world. So who keeps your, the fan, fan site? You've got the Raw Herbs fan site, haven't you? Which is there's, quite... a, there's a guy in, in Wales who... I mean, it's so, it's so unusual. When we used to, like, do concerts... There were people used to follow us all over the country and stuff, and, <laughs> and uh, like real like fans and and it used to be like girls, right? Used to write me fan letters, you know? and <laughs> it was it was really it was really quite yes. It was it was it was bizarre and and not bizarre. It was really I don't know. It was. Because my, my, when I started writing songs and that, I was just thinking, 
might you know it might go i didn't think that because there was a lot of glamour to that that group very kind of quickly you were getting you're going on photo shoots and <laughs> doing videos and get your picture in the paper and doing radio shows and and people were recognizing you and that was like within just some a few a few months yeah, that's amazing. And did you you did a, a tribute gig gig for Brian? Was this just we you? Did yeah. Did you was it just you and some other friends, but not members of the uh, old band? Uh, yeah, it's just me and some guys who played in horse latches and guys who played with Brian in other groups. Right. So he was in the June Braids and um, uh, a few a few other groups, indie groups that released records and. Yes. Well, it's interesting you mentioned the June Brides because there was like there's four bands that often people talk about in the indie scene uh, from the 80s. And there was Orange Juice. Then there was uh, the Smiths, the Go-Betweens and the uh, June Brides. Can I, can I just say something here without upsetting anybody? No, it's fine. How on earth can the June Brides be, be put in that list? <laughs> I, mean, you're talk, I mean, Orange Juice, the Smiths. The go-betweens. I mean, have you heard the June Browns? Yeah, well, I, I you know. Well, I... We, we, and funnily enough, sorry, I'm like, I'm just remembering things. At, when the raw herbs were starting to do very well, we were doing, we did these kind of like mini tours where you didn't go on like 20 dates or something. You did like, I don't know, eight dates. And then you'd have a short break and then do another eight. And the guy who was organising our gigs, um, we had, you know, because we had like uh, somebody doing the press and somebody doing the concerts and somebody managing this and, you know, um, he would have us go to Exeter, then Manchester, following night, then Cardiff, then... Liverpool and I was thinking can't you like work your way up the country you know because <laughs> it's, like, it's like you're we're like we were passing the places that we were playing the following night to travel like 300 miles away it was um it was um yes I, I can... not 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 loads of fun you know no, I think touring eventually kills most bands, even though the, the hour, two hours on stage is great. It's the, the rest of the time which often makes most people go a bit crazy. So, yeah. But so, if, I, if, I, if, I'm, if I'm honest, I think that the, 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 there was a lot, of, um, a lot of the buzz was, was gotten from not the the right things you know because you, it's very it's very um addictive when people are showing you this kind of not adoration but you know they're very they're very enthusiastic wanting to talk to you there's lots of people going to the concerts um you're getting your picture taken you're doing interviews you can some people love that you know and I've seen people over the years, you know, fall in love with the whole thing, you know. It's the kind of rock star um, yes. uh, um, ethic. But I'd, I, I've always been somebody who, 
didn't really like it. You know, when I when I did gigs with this, the Dale Parker band, I did a lot of work on the music. I played the, and there was no electric guitars in that group, funnily enough. It was violins and trumpets. And um, I would play the concert and then people would want to talk to me afterwards. I used to go out the fire exit and not even have a, you know, there was no drinking at the bar in those days with me. And I'd just and go home. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, because yeah. yeah, I, I really I'm not I'm not um, I'm not um, I've never enjoyed that you know I've never enjoyed people coming up after the concert and saying oh hi Derek can I talk to you for a while and stuff that I'd be I'd find that I, yeah, I don't know I I mean I love people and I, and you know, I loved meeting people you know but I didn't like that. Oh, hi, Derek, you're the singer, kind of stuff. Yes. And what, so just lastly, what would you say to a kind of an 18-year-old self that was kind of, you know, what from what you've sort of, you know, over the decades kind of learned, thought, God, that's something that I would have told my younger self um, or anybody else for that matter, just because it's something that you wouldn't have picked up at that age. I don't know. I don't really think I'd, I'd have... Uh said anything because saying what saying you know you you tend not to listen to just you know random advice when you're that age somebody comes up and says do you know what you should be doing and I had so many people saying do you know what you should be doing and then it got even worse later when I was in that other group you know and I the, I had like managers saying we're interested in you son but you, you know and it was like don't invite me out for for drinks and tell me that you're interested in me, son, and then and not even demo songs and stuff, you know. And I I did quite a lot of demos for different uh, uh, people, and then and then I was even at the same management company as um, <laughs> um, the Stranglers, but it wasn't the Stranglers with Hugh Cornwall. It was when he's gone, and yeah. and the other group were the counterfeit Rolling Stones, and I was just thinking, oh my god, what what's um what's it all come to? <laughs> and I did a we did a tour with the the counterfeit Stones. That must have been well, strange. Well, we got offered a tour with David Essex, <laughs> and I turned it down. And see, when I look back, I just think. Why on earth did you turn that down? That 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 would have been a laugh, you know, going on tour with David Essex. You know? This is true. This is. Very I'd, ra- I'd rather I'd rather go on tour with uh, David Essex than go on tour with the uh, Ocean Colour Scene or the House of Love. You know. Absolutely. So, I mean, do you occasionally? Because I always kind of just lastly, I mean, do you occasionally get the odd royalty check from the the raw raw herbs or do? You, yeah, but but they don't. I mean, that's another thing. Something happened there, but they don't go to me. So, and <laughs> not that I'm, but you know, I'm bothered. You know, the, but occasionally, like a song, there was a song used in a a German advert, and you know, there was quite a lot of money there. And in fairness, I get contacted. You know? Yes. Yeah. Um, but you know, I, I, and 
you know, the thing is, it doesn't really matter. And there's not, if there was huge amounts of money, then it would have, there would have to be a, you know, a sit down somewhere or even um, lawyers involved. But it doesn't really matter. You know, it's, it was an indie group that that did did well for a short period of time and wrote a couple of songs that, that you know, two or three in particular that people really liked. Yes. And I think the concerts, the, the especially the early concerts, because we did a lot of a lot of shows. And when you, know, I think we were quite in, enthusiastic, you know, and I was. You know, meet, meeting Brian Alexis for me is one of the best moments of my life, you know, because he's, you know, and that's no disrespect to the other guys, but they were they were a bit older and a bit more sensible and a bit more serious, you know. Yes. Well, but but Brian was, it's hard to describe him, you know. He used to, like, speak, sometimes you just used to speak to everybody and like, and like a cat. <laughs> And but he was carrying it off, and he was being quite serious. And people were just like, "Who is this guy meowing at me all the time?" <laughs> and then, and then he would do things like we'd be having a rehearsal, and it would be for a concert, and would be quite an important. The phone and the phone would ring, and I pick up the phone and I go, "Oh, hi, Dennis it's Brian. You know, I'm really sorry, I can't make the rehearsal tonight." You go, "Oh, what about?" And you go, "No, I'm really, really sorry." You put the phone down, and then five minutes later, the front door would. Ring, and he cut because we had a house and all the it was a rehearsal house, you know, like the Beatles. They all put their key in the door and they all come in and yes, yeah, they all live in the same house. Well, we, it was a house that was like Raw Herb's house, and that that had the drum kit. It was all set up. There was recording stuff and guitars were there and there was a PA and and um, so that's what we used to do. We just turn up. For rehearsal was um, in that house, and then, and then the door would knock, and Brian would arrive and he'd go, "Hi, you know," and he'd go, "Sorry, I'm a bit late," and come in and act like that phone call hadn't happened. And he'd go like, "But you just rang a couple of minutes ago," and he went, "No, no, that wasn't me," and it absolutely was him. And he would he would always deny it. <laughs> and on the Janice Long session, he deliberately didn't play a snare drum on the. Don't bury me yet. Track and pretended that it disappeared. And he's going, where's that snare gun? He's going, oh, I don't know. And so everybody, all the engineers and that are looking are on all the mics for the the snare drum that disappeared. And he just he just did it because he thought it was quite funny. And I thought it was I thought it was very funny. Yeah. Yes, God, what I thought. Well, when was the last time you saw Brian? Um, well, it was the thing. The things he died on. I can't remember the day of the week it was. I'd arranged. I'd I'd, I'd been in Sweden for a, a couple of years, and I'd come back, and I, I just wanted to. I hadn't seen him or my friend Keith for a while, and I wanted to. I wanted to see them, and I'd arranged to see him. It was like a kind of week after my next trip to Sweden, which was going to last a week. And then I just, I found out on the, the Friday before the Tuesday that I was going to see him after maybe th three years. So it was, I, I mean, I used, 
we were friends, you know, so I, we, it was a lot easier after the raw herbs because we used to go out for drinks and stuff and just hang out in, in Stratford, you know. Yes. And, uh, but I think, I can't, I, I can't. I can't remember. Life seemed to be a bit more of a roller coaster then, but uh, you know, I think life has always been a roller coaster for me because I think it is still now. But um, yeah, I, I, I lost touch with not just like my friends here in East London, like everybody. I went. I just. I don't know if it's like a a crisis you have in your thirties or something, you know, and I just shut myself away and I didn't go out and I didn't drink and I just ate raw foods and I wrote and I read poetry and I wrote some songs and they were quite good ones and I decided to get another group together. That's what happened. But I didn't see anybody, even my brothers or, you know, my mother was a bit worried that I was like, you know, my, my, my brother used to say that I'd, was like Howard Hughes or something. You never saw him anymore. And, and, um, but I found that because I wrote eight songs and they were they were very good. But I, the the amount of focus and commitment it took to write eight pop songs was just it was really really it was full full time. You know? Yes. Did they ever come out? Um. No, I just, I just uh, uh, demoed. Yeah. Right, my God, so you've got all these songs. Lots of songs. Songs tucked away somewhere that might... Oh, I've got, yeah. Well, I don't think that... I mean, I would let... I mean, I, I'm, I, I'm now in a, you know, a, a bit older, but I'm now in a, you know, I've, I've got a, a, a group with my friends, so we can do anything we want. Yes. At, at any, any point, and... Releasing um, another record is 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 I'm um, I'm definitely going to do that again because of the internet. It's very easy, you know. Yeah, and I ha- I have like a SoundCloud account and a you know so I, I, there's places that I put songs on. Yeah, so it's all yeah. it's still going to all happen one day. Not really, because I I, I, I don't. I never really thought of it like that when I was a, a youngster and I don't really think of it like now because I just I love music and I've become a better singer over the years, you know. I've learned how to, you know, you know, I understand my limitations as a musician, a, a singer, and that makes it a bit easier and a bit more difficult. And But I'll never not be a musician and play. Yes. Um, and has and just lastly, has the acting is that still something that you're doing or is that? No, but it was a fl- a fluke because I always fan- fancied acting, and the thing is, I could do it quite well. I could do it quite well. I was I was in quite respectable companies with. I mean, I remember. I think it was the third play that that I was in. Um, I remember like meeting up with the ensemble actors and I recognised all of them from BBC television dramas and I was <laughs> quite intimidated, you know, I was like, oh my God. And they were all talking like, all talking like, hello, 
oh, Derek, darling, how are you? <laughs> the, the people have really talked like that. You know, they're all kissing me and they say the cheek all the time. Excellent. And one of them came up and went, "And you're from you're from Glasgow," and asked asked if it was all right if uh, they could touch me because they'd never seen one before in real life talking about a Scottish person. That's went, I've, ne- I've, ne- I've never seen a real one, and, and like, in, could I just touch you? I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> we don't we don't do things like that in Glasgow. <laughs> it's like. All these really odd people. You know? That was a bit and weird. Then, but they, I think, see if you're weird, there's weird is weird. You know, I met Kevin Rowland once, you know, he's weird. You know, and he, he's weird in a way that you, that doesn't sit comfortably with you. But I met Julian Cope and he's weird, but he's, he's genuine, he's funny, he's, you know, that's, that's, it's that kind of thing. It's the same with acting. You've got all these unusual, different, eccentric, creative people and with some bizarre ideas, but some of them are just like, it's great to meet people like that, you know? Yes. Um, you know, and as long as the, what, they're, what they're doing comes from, a, comes from an honest place, you know, it's... Then I'd rather meet really unusual people that you're not going to meet that often than just a load of guys supporting Celtic, you know, and in a pub in Glasgow, you know. Yes, well, not that there's anything wrong with that. I mean, it's it's it's, there's nothing wrong with anything you do in life, but. uh, it was great acting and meeting all those people. And I, I met Judy Dench and, you know, it was great. Um, you know, I met quite a lot, a lot of British kind of character actors and the plays I read and always did quite well. And I, and I made a short film for Channel 4. What was that called? Oh, um, it was called The Body. Oh. And, and it was just a, a short piece of me reciting stuff and it was and and it was it was filmed in a um a proper television studio you know <laughs> like with cameras that are on wheels and and they were doing like these shots of my like, putting two cameras on my face and and doing split screen stuff and explaining it all to me and it was all it's all very interesting what amazing that uh, uh, Yes, my God. Well, Derek, this has been fantastic. So, look, oh, well, yes, this is good. Well, I've got quite a bit there, actually. But thanks again. I mean, it's been amazing to hear your story. And also, you know, because a lot of those bands, I suppose, from that period, you know, were, were sort of really, you know, it was that kind of the, the essence, you know, I suppose it was just underneath the kind of the Smiths and people like that, wasn't it? A lot of the, like yeah. the, Sidley, the, it was like the Sidleys and the Chesterfields and, other such bands, and you think, wow, that's. Nice. But I, because I, 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 uh, we did a lot of gigs with a lot of different people, the Sidleys and all that didn't really excite me too much. But playing with people like Cud, and um, there was uh, this other, there was an Irish band we played with once that had a song called "How Much Is the Fish." What were they called? Stump. Oh, Stump. And yes. the you know and. Um, they were the concerts that I used to find 
interesting, you know, playing with the House of Love. I didn't like Guy Chadwick, but I became friends with Terry Bickers after he left the House of Love and all the and I'd left the raw herbs and everything. We used to work in a cafe in Brighton together, and we became great pals. You know. Yes. Uh, it's just, and he's, but I think you know, playing gigs with the House of Love. I, you know, I'm, I, I, I talk to everybody, but I think Guy Chadwick doesn't really talk to anybody, and he had that. Here's the, here comes Guy. You know, it's, yeah. But like you know, uh, and I didn't think they were very good. You know, I really didn't. Not like the Smiths were. The, the Smiths were special group. They were amazing. Yes, this is um, true. Even Aztec Camera were amazing. Oh, really? And Orange Juice. Um, but the House of Love, because they, they were being compared to the, the, they were like the new kind of Smiths size group. And I was thinking, they're not, they're not good enough. Yes, they had a couple of very instantly catchy singles, but then, uh, yes, it's a tricky this, one. This, the Smiths had just killer song after killer song. It just, it was non-stop. They were all interesting. And Morrissey has got, he's the, it's the, because the raw herbs were busy then and I used to get a lot of taxis and I used to get in the taxi and the guy would go, all right, mate, you're a musician playing a guitar. Yeah, and music, you know, all that sort of typical London cabbie. He goes, I like a bit of music myself, you know, and I was, I'd say, like, what kind of music do you like? And he go, oh, I love everything. I love everything I really like except that fucking Morrissey. I fucking hate him. The Smiths is fucking miserable, you know. And I used to just think, well done, Morrissey. <laughs> like, and the amount, the amount of guys that used to do that, and I thought, what, what, what a, what a, what a compliment. <laughs> well, it's interesting because I remember at the time being obsessed because all those lyrics and all those, and the music as well. And um, I didn't know anybody who else liked them at the time. You know, it was kind of an odd relationship because you know when you're obsessed by somebody, but then. It wasn't one of those bands you think, oh, I don't really care, it doesn't matter. I, you know, but Morris, the Smiths just wound people up so much. It was yeah, but, for, you know, and because it seemed they were called the Smiths, they looked like a quintessential indie group, but the, the, the quality of the songs, they were really amazing songs. Yes. I and they, they, they were, they were no weak points. I know they were just one after another. It's amazing, but yeah. I better, I, yes. Well, thank you, Derek. So look, okay. I'll keep in touch, and when I put this out, I'll, I'll send you a link, and, and then you can listen to the podcast because, okay. because these things often work like that. So, um, if but you, yeah, if you ever, if you ever want, um, I mean, if you want to hear some. Some newer mu- uh, music from me. I'd be glad to send you a few a few bits. Yeah, that would be fantastic. Actually, I'll yeah. um yeah, it'd be good to hear sort of because there's you know obviously I mean it's great that you've got your stuff. Some of the stuff, well, most of the stuff is actually on Spotify. Your raw herb stuff, isn't it? So um, which is quite useful. So um, yes, good. dear old Spotify, it does have some good points. Except they, except they deliberately misspelled the horse latitude's name so that the American group of the same name could uh, could uh, 
because there's a more successful American group called Horse Latitudes. Uh, right, yeah. And they're, they're, they're not really allowed to do that. And so what Spotify did, because we only released one record, they put two T's in Latitudes for, for us and one for them. I think it's illegal, but I don't really care. So it's not... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's too tricky. But look, Derek, thank you ever so much. And, um, and I'll keep in touch. But that's been, um, well, you know, that's been amazing. It's been a pleasure talking with you, David. Thanks. No, no problem. And we worked out Skype. Hurrah. Skype. Lovely. Yeah, take care there, Derek. Thanks a lot again, and I'll, I'll keep in touch. Yeah, have a nice evening, David. You, you too. Take care, Derek. Thank you. Bye. 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 Bye.